but then she finds out he's a necrophiliac and she's like it's either the corpses or me hello friends and welcome to the show my guest today is the author of over 200 books largely falling within the extreme horror category in recent years he's taken the leap into filmmaking and today he shares his experiences in screenwriting producing directing and acting he's incredibly hard-working and driven he's great at making things happen under his own steam he's unpredictable he's irrepressible Today's fiendish mind is the one and only Macho. Hi Matt, good to have you here. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Well, I'm not dead yet, so that's always a plus. Yeah. Well, depends who you talk to, I guess. Mrs. hasn't killed you during lockdown then? No, but I'll be honest, it came close to me killing her. <laughs> I mean, I don't, have you ever tried to write something with someone else in the house? Yes. See, I, I have strict rules. and I don't know, Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you may have done this. Uh, so your partner is home. And you've got work to do, so because you, you know, you know, I do this full time, so yeah. I don't get the luxury of stopping work; it's constant. And I will tell her that I am writing and I'm busy, so she'll be like, "Right, okay, I'll leave you to it then." And then you can just go away, and you can just carry on writing. Then every two seconds, she'll come in the bloody room and ask me if I want something. You know, do you want a sandwich? Do you want a cup of tea? Do you want She's this? been helpful. She's been helpful. No, Ned. no. Or she'll come in. Oh, funny thing happened at work today. I don't care. <laughs> All the time I was sitting next to you when we're just channel hopping, looking for something to find on TV, she'll say nothing. The moment I'm going to do some writing. Verbal diarrhea, mate. <laughs> Did you never have that? <laughs> yeah, she's going to kill you. She's going to kill you probably right after this podcast goes live. It's fine I because I won't tell her about it. <laughs> I'm like, Mind you, I think she's, face, she's Facebook friends with you, isn't she? She is. Yeah, <laughs> shit. Anyway, I don't know whether I've told you this recently, but if I told you how much I love my wife. Oh, you say it all the time, mate. Yeah, she, she comes out with the best ideas for my work. She, all of the ideas are hers. Yeah, I love her. She's the best person in the world. And, and incredibly helpful while you're working. Oh, yes, yes. Very much so. Yes. Can't do enough for you. You'll edit around this, aren't you? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> We have agreed where well, we had a chat the other day on the phone and you were saying you're kind of done with talking about writing in general. So well, yeah. I thought we would focus more on the, the filmmaking side of your career let for me, this episode. Let me explain, because that, that does sound a bit dickish on my part. Oh, I'm so done with it. Uh, it's just, I get messages all the time with people going, oh, I'm writing a book. Can you tell me how to do this? Can you tell me how to do that? And the thing is, I wrote a book about it. No, it's my whole writing process, everything, it's on, yeah. it's on Amazon and I charge 99p for it or it's free on Kindle Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And people yeah. are like, oh, I saw that, but I was just hoping you could answer this. It's like, right, so <laughs> you want my advice, but I'm not worth 99p. And it's just like, I, I can't be bothered anymore. Because mm. of course, then, we've got to remember talking that. about it. Those 200 books, they are self-published. <laughs> yes. For those of you who don't know, um, I was just ranting about the horror community because uh, I rant quite a lot. And uh, this guy just 
started saying that I'm not a real author basically because my books are self-published. <laughs> it's like, yeah, all right. And what he's obviously ignored is the number of traditionally published authors who have joined forces and collaborated with you, including some yeah. really well-known names in the genre, Sean yeah. Hudson, Graham Masterton, and I think if they're not looking down their nose at you, Matt, I don't think anybody's in a position to. I just think, uh, what's a very random thing to say? I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but his comment bothered me in, in so much as, what a dick. Because, you know, yeah, I'm a self-published author, but I'm doing it for a living and I choose to be self-published because there's not a publisher that can pay me more than what I can earn by myself, unless I get lucky with the big publishers, you know. And we, you know, we're talking millions of pound kind of book deals with yeah, those yeah. people, which you know I'm nowhere near. And so I went and looked up how many pages read I've had since Kindle Unlimited, and I published it for everyone to see and go, "There you go. This is what this lowly self-published author is doing. Bite me." <laughs> I just, I just can't bother for people anymore. I'm just going to stick with uh, like people such as yourself. I've known you from day one. Yeah, you know, we've known each other for years, and uh, and my readers. My readers, I'm always going to give the time to and chat with, yeah. and you know they want advice. They know where I am, and I'm easy to get hold of. Uh, but other than that, I'm just going to keep a low profile now. I think. Mm. So I thought I'd celebrate that by coming on a podcast. Talking about writing. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will focus on on the filmmaking side, but I, I do hope that at some point we can have a good chat because I, I think you know the very fact that you've carved out this niche for yourself and you've developed a brand where I don't know, like, like you say, I mean, the fact that it's a choice for you to remain self-published, there's, there's a lot we could unpack there, but we'll leave it for this, this time. Yeah, and I'll I try mean, and get I'll, you pissed up and talk about it. Another time. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you whenever about it at the moment. It's just, I don't know. There's just uh, I think the writing community is changing and it's not a very nice place at the moment. So I'm just kind of ducking and just going to carry on releasing my books, doing mm-hmm. what I do, play with my readers. That sounded bad. You know, enjoy, no, can't say enjoy my readers. Just, you know, just Engage keep doing what I'm way. doing. Yeah, it's very good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to do it in the background, um, away from everyone else. Uh, and, you know, as you know, now I'm working on films, which it, apparently it's even worse. So <laughs> <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> I, might, I might go back to retail. It's been ages since I've done anything, but I enjoyed working in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. When, when was that when you were working in cinema, Matt? Uh, probably about six years ago. Oh, wow. I worked for, uh, yeah, I was um, working in my dad's company and I left there for various reasons. And then uh, I got a job in a cinema. I was like, this is fucking ideal because I can switch my brain off. I would literally stand at the till point with my notebook, writing plots out for my, for my books. Yeah. And then the customers would come up. And even when I went as a full-time writer, I thought I'm going to keep the job at the cinema because I get free cinema because I'm one, I'm the, I'm, I was the oldest person there that wasn't a manager. So I am now going against little children for sales targets. And I'm like, I've done retail for a lot. So I was winning all the competitions, which basically you get um, screen time. So I would hook the PlayStation 4 up to one of the cinema screens for an afternoon and just sit in there by myself and play Call of Duty. Jesus. And so when I, when I left, uh, when I became a full-time writer, I kept four hours a week at the cinema just for <laughs> all the perks. Nice. And uh, I couldn't hack it. I, mate, I did three shifts. 
and the people that would come in because I was wearing like you know the the the, the outfit, so I was wearing a, yeah. a view baseball cap and things like that. And you know, I'm knocking on forty; it wasn't a good look. And uh, they'd, they'd look down their nose at you, and they'd be like, "Oh, I want this, this, and this." They would just treat you like shit, as most retail people will know. You get those customers that come in, yeah, are just assholes. And the amount of times I want to just sit there and just go, you, you are aware that my book went to number one today, right? You know, that's who I am. If you want to go on Amazon and Google me, yeah. I mean, you can't do that. And it's a dick thing to do anyway. But you just think, this person is treating me like shit. But they actually, they got no idea like who I am as an individual. Yeah. They just presume because I'm doing a job at the cinema that I'm nothing. And that kind of attitude to retail workers is just disgusting. Yeah, it is pretty shitty. Plus, yeah. I bet your uh, Call of Duty accuracy, your shot accuracy must have been through the roof with all that. No. <laughs> By the time I would see someone on the corner of the screen and turn, I'm dead. <laughs> uh, I thought you'd be just headshot after headshot with that massive screen. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was great. I mean, I, one of the days I took three friends in with me, so we just split screen it up. and nice. it, it was fantastic. And I was like, oh... So yeah, now my uh, my goal is to make enough money to buy my own cinema. Like, I mean, proper cinema, yeah, yeah. not one of these these makeshift garages with a big projector in it. I want a fucking boosh. <laughs> yeah, are you gonna open it to the public, or will it just be for you? Oh no, it's just for me. Yeah, you can come just down and watch problem. a film with me. Yeah, I'll travel 400 miles, come watch a movie. Imagine how far I go to conventions. That's nothing. Don't nah, be so rude. Yeah, Anti-social a, you are. Being a sarky bastard, aren't I? Thanks for having me. It's the lockdown. Yeah. No, it's not. You've always been a sarky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the lockdown getting to me, mate. Yeah, uh, yeah. You found an innovative way to deal with that, though, haven't you? Yeah, I've been making films in lockdown. Has um, that been working? Not very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would just think of a simplistic script like two characters on a phone or or i would talk to actors who i know have similar walls to me so they got a white wall i've got a white wall so we can film it and then edit it together and it kind of makes it look like we're in the same place even though we're not yeah um so i would just sit down and write these five ten page scripts and then email them to actors around the world and then we would all film our segment on our mobile phones because whilst I have the, the black magic cameras, you know, the 4K and all that lot, actors don't tend to have that in their house. But everyone's got an iPhone or, or you know, Galaxy or phone. Yeah. Um, so when we use mobile phones, we can kind of match it in the edit to make it look fairly similar. So they'd film their bit, I'd film my bit, they'd email it back to me, I would then edit it together as best as I could and then I would send it to a guy called Viden uh, just to do the sound mix to get it to sound like we're in the same place as well and then we just release it to do to YouTube for free it was you know it was never a money-making exercise it was just something to not let isolation kill creativity yeah and just have a laugh really it's like from this I know there's like I know the actors I can turn to who are willing to work you know, I gave the script to, uh, I'm going to name her, Maria Lee Metheringham. Um, I gave her the script. Day later, she sent me all the footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got in touch with her. Do you want to do another one? Yeah. So I sent her the script. A day later, I have everything again. 
I yeah. sent it to another actress that I won't name, um, who, oh, I'll get this done tomorrow or the next day. So you think, cool. And then you're watching while they're just pissing around on TikTok. Right. <laughs> so they're uploading TikTok video after TikTok video. And you're just thinking, right, okay. And their excuse was it's easy to do a TikTok video, but it's not easy to just set a camera up on a tripod and, and record a few lines and then, you know, send it to yeah. me. And I was just like, that's a crock of shit. It's just, there was... It felt like there was no passion there. They'd argue with me till the cows come home about it. But from my point of view, that's how it felt. Yeah. And they feel I disrespected them because I just gave the script to uh, Maria, Maria again and told her to do it. And, you know, a day later I had all the footage. Yeah. Because <laughs> what I hate, what I hate, and I'm sure you know this about me anyway, is I hate sitting still. Mm. If I've got an idea, I'm going to go and make it. Yeah. And then I'm going to release it. And um, you, you started doing these pretty much straight away in the lockdown didn't you so you were getting you were getting antsy straight away yeah um it's like marie take the dog out for a walk i'm gonna do some filming i'm making a movie <laughs> I, I i'll be honest it was a little bit selfish of me as well because the reason i was doing the lockdown videos was because i was hoping to build my youtube channel up and i did add quite a few people to it mm. um because, you know, I'm giving free content away. And, yeah. you know, the films are, are never going to win any prizes, but they're a bit of fun. That's uh, the point, isn't you it? Know? And that's why I wanted people over onto my YouTube channel, because I'm banned on so many other places now that <laughs> YouTube's the only place that hasn't actually banned me yet. Yeah. So I was like, if I can get them all there, then they can watch these films and then I can do adverts for like my feature films and blah, yes. blah, blah. And I've got the audience there. Um, but it didn't quite work out as well as I'd hoped. But, you know, I had fun. I've learned who I can use for future films and who I won't touch with a barge pole. So, you know, it's worth it to me. Yeah, I was thinking that. It sounds like it's, you know, it's, it's worked out in other ways that are equally as valuable. Yeah, it's like now I'm in a chat group with, uh, well, uh, Maria. Um, mm not to be mistaken with Marie, my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and we send each other filth all the time, you know, so it's great. Um, just who <laughs> perfect you know, I just send her the most fucked up videos I can find <laughs> she sent me one what was it the, the witty witty bum bum song or something like that oh I'll have, to, I'll have to send it to you your kids will love it yeah please don't please I can <laughs> tell from the title they aren't seeing that because it'll be one of those fucking things that I have to hear for the next fortnight <laughs> it will be reenacted it's the worst earworm she sent it to me I think it was quite early in the day i got it but for the rest of the day i'm fucking singing this poxy song and i'm like oh <laughs> kill me no you can keep that one thank you very much obviously this lockdown thing cinemas closed there are things popping up straight to streaming now that you know we're expecting to to have sort of quite large theatrical releases what do you think the future holds for the film industry post covid well, I've been privy to a lot of the information that's going out there about how the film industry is going to move forward making mm-hmm. the films. Yeah. And it's really very, very bad. Really? Um, yeah, like the sex stuff and things like that is all supposed to be CGI'd. Um, you're not supposed to have background artists in, in scenes now. Right. So if you think I've got, like I'm filming in January, we've got a restaurant scene. Yeah. With people in the background having a meal, having a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That isn't allowed 
if these rules pass. You have to use members of your crew in the background. Right. Right, it's going to look fucking odd, a guy in a restaurant with a boom pole in his hand, isn't it? You know, um, and you need, like, like in my film coming up, we've got the two actors, they get close to each other, you know. Technically, you're not allowed to do that now. I'm, I, I got the lead role in a film called Caliban uh, by Ian Armour, and we were going to be filming it in November. He's recently just delayed the filming dates until March of next year, trying right. to let COVID calm down. Yeah, see how Because in goes. that script, it's a lot of nudity and a lot of body-to-body contact and mm-hmm. things. And, you know, there's, there's so many rules and regulations coming out. With regards to how the cinemas and all that lot will cope about it post COVID. Did you see, I can't remember the name of the company, but one of the big film distributors, they, they released a film straight to streaming. I think it was trolls Two, And it did so well that they're like, well, we might do this for all of our films now. Right. And a few of the cinemas turned around and went, right, we will never play another one of your films. Fuck. And people like me were like, okay, I'll go to the cinema down the fucking road then. Mm. Like, what a strange power play. It's like, I personally believe there's always two audience, well, three audiences for a film. You've got those that love the cinema, as you know, I'm one of them. Yep. You've got those that prefer to stay at home and stream. And then you've got those that steal. Yeah. Those are your, that's your three audience. So even if like uh, they did Trolls 2 on streaming day and they did it at the cinema, at the same time, yeah. you'd still have families that would want to treat their family to a day out yes, and go to the cinema. So I, I, just, I don't know. I think the whole film industry is going to be very, very weird moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to come out of this very, very different. Um, you've mentioned Caliban, so let's keep pulling on that thread. Um, so you've got a, quite a major role in this one, haven't you? Yeah, so I, uh, I I went through it, and I think there's five pages of the script that I'm not featured on. And how many are you wearing clothes in? Um, well, I mean, that depends <laughs> on the director when we come to film. But, you know, when you read the script, there is a lot of uh, potentially risque scenes. So I've been frantically working out, and I had a message from him the other day on because uh, I put my regime up on, on Facebook going, oh my God, this is what I'm doing. No wonder I'm not getting out of bed. And he sent me a message going, I don't want you too big for the film. You're supposed to look like a physical wreck. And I was like, well, I've already achieved that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to listen to him entirely for that. In the, okay, I can't get beefcake. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But I at least want to lose a little bit of the tire around my belly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a fair compromise. Yeah. So I'm not going to make it so I look like completely off of the guy's vision because uh, I know from talking to him that this is a very personal project for yeah. him, um, and I want to do it some great justice. But I uh, I've got to have it. So if they, if they if they're going for the full frontal, like has been mentioned, you need to see my penis. You know, <laughs> <laughs> at the moment I don't want it hidden behind the belly. <laughs> I don't think there was any any fear of you hiding it behind the belly, like you know, there's no on you. So you say that there isn't, except on my belly. 
I've got the weirdest body ever. I look like uh, one of those kids on the, 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 the TV station, you know, where I have to walk miles to get clean water because I'm skinny, but with a fucking huge pregnant belly. That's wine. Like, That's the wine. No, because I've only started drinking this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wagon wheel tea cakes they've just released. <laughs> oh, they're so good. What can you share about Caliban at this stage? Are you allowed to say much about it? I'll be honest with you. I don't really want to share anything about it. Um, what I'll say is uh, the reason being is because I don't know what I can and cannot share. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't want to tread on Ian's toes. Um, but I mean, what I'll say is he, I saw, we, we've been Facebook friends. We never really talked much. Mm-hmm. And then he sent me the script for Caliban because he said he's opening up auditions. I was like, oh, I'll have a read and you know, I'll have an audition. And I sent it to Maria because I knew that she wouldn't give a crap about nudity. And he sent me the script and I I read it. My first reading, I didn't understand it fully. It took me a couple of readings to start getting my head around it. Now I've read it like four or five times. I'm seeing things I hadn't seen before. And it is a very, very clever script. But... I told him what I thought of it and then I didn't hear anything from him. So I was like, oh, he doesn't even want me to audition. Fair enough. So clearly he watched Nightmare on Elm Street and thought I was shitting it. And, you know, because he said, oh, I watched it. You were good in that. And it, it kind of stopped there. Right. So I was, I, it was like lip service. Yeah, you were good. Fuck me, that was shit. So <laughs> I thought nothing else of it. I was like, oh, okay. It's a bit disappointing, but okay. And then he suddenly messaged me out of the blue going, do you want to audition for this film? Bloody, bloody, blah. I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, read the script to make sure you're happy with it. So I read the script and it's like, okay. So I kissed that girl, that girl, that girl, that girl. Uh, I fuck these girls. I tie this girl up. I do this. I was like, I was like yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm in. And uh, I did the audition and, Again, on his Facebook, he said that he's cast it and he'll be doing uh, online rehearsals. He'll be arranging mm. that. So I thought, oh, I didn't hear anything back. So, okay, it was, wasn't for me. It wasn't meant to be. Um, and I was like, I could understand why because there was three parts to the audition. He wanted to see just a generic conversation with one of the characters, an argument with one of the characters, and then there's a Shakespearean character within the thing. Yeah, He wanted to see my take on that. So I did three parts. And the first part, when I watched it back, I was like, oh, I'm kind of hot. I'm nailing this. This is, this is some great acting. And then we got to the second part, and I was like, that's not so strong. And the third part was like, oh, dear. <laughs> I thought, send it. Anyway, uh, a few days went by, and uh, he, had, he said, uh, very nice. I've sent it to the producer. Which, you know, just kind of sounds like, it's not my decision to say no. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, then a few days after that, he actually just dropped me a message and just said, uh, congratulations, the part's yours. Don't say anything on Facebook yet because we're not announcing it until the weekend. And I'm sitting there and my wife is sitting like a few feet away from me. And I was really quiet because <laughs> I was like, she was funny about me having to kiss Rebecca in Nightmare on Elm Street because mm. we had a little bit of a sexy time in that and now i'm thinking i need to tell her that i'm doing this film with with nudity and sex scenes and yeah. bloody bloody blah and i eventually said it and she's like hmm, congratulations i guess i was like oh. 
That is loaded. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but uh, I think it. Uh, you know, the reason I said yes is I trust Ian's script. Um, I've seen stuff that he has been a part of the writing process before. Mm. So, I trust he's not going to make me look like a dickhead. You know, that's fair enough. And I think if Marie's reactions anything to go by. You're probably going to wish that she did kill you during lockdown by Tim Caliban comes out. <laughs> yeah, um, or maybe uh, me and Ian will get on so well, he'll be like, It's all right, Matt, you can move in with me. I've got a spare room. <laughs> yeah, just hide you, hide you for a while. Um, no, I've told, I've told Marie, I said, Look, I have to do this because it's a very big role mm. and there's potential to be seen by other people um, because, you know, Ian will probably put it in film festivals. Um, yeah. I would have thought he would, but if not, he'll be pushing to get it seen by people anyway. So it could open a door to new things. Yeah. If I don't do it, what am I potentially turning down in the future? Yeah. So, I think I've, I mean, having, having met Marie at conventions with you, I think she's uh long got a head around you know what, what your career is and your role is and what you have to do to get yourself out there and yeah i think she's kind of given up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. occasionally i look at her and she's lost a will to live um i mean I, I try and introduce her like when she comes to conventions with me yeah. now i try and introduce her more to my readers when they come up to my table yeah yeah um especially if it looks like they're really um for want of a better word, fangirling. Right. I try and then make a point, oh, this is my wife, bloody, bloody, blah. Yeah, so, just, you know, pulls yeah. her into it. Um, when I'm by myself, I'm just fucking trouble. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> less, said, less said the better. <laughs> <laughs> um, when did you start writing screenplays then, Matt? Because obviously Caliban was written and, and it's going to be directed by Ian Armour, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's not one that you've written. So, um, no. But your other projects, you other than I think you appeared in Rise of the Foot Soldier 3. Didn't oh, you? Well, I was only a, a prison inmate in that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, outside of that, you, you've written all your, your projects. Is that right? Yeah. Just a quick thing about Rise of the Foot Soldier. It's quite funny, actually. I got in trouble. Did you? Because I, I was only in it because I met the guy from Human Centipede 2, the skinhead Nazi guy. Right, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, I met him at a convention, and it turns out he's got this company where he he provides background actors. And he's uh, like, Matt, it's a bit of a way, but you know, we'll, we'll pay you travel, and it's like 100 quid a day. Do you want to come do this film? It's like, fucking right, I do. And I'm, all, I'm in my, my, my inmate garb. I'm, I'm ready, ready for my big moment. He's like, Matt, you've never done this before, have you? No. So, okay, well, we're going to have you walk in midway in the scene. Then you sit next to Clay, uh, Craig Fairbrass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you just carry on talking to your wife who's visiting you. I was like, sweet. And I know, I know the golden rule is you not to talk. You just, you just mime. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I walked into this, this visitor's room, right? And there's a, a copper walking towards me, dirty fucking pig. So I eyeballed him because I'm in character now. I'm a uh, badass yeah, criminal. Yeah. So I, I eyeballed that motherfucker. And I was like, oh, I'll cut you. I'll cut you. And he eyeballed me. And it's, you, you believe the tension. I got to the table. Craig's there in the middle of a long speech. And I got my chair and I pulled the chair away from the table so I could sit down. Screech. Screech. <laughs> <Yeah>. Car. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Fuck. But yeah, you don't actually do that. It's like, well, I couldn't sit down. It's like, well, you're not actually on the camera at that point, so it doesn't matter if you lift it carefully and put it. It's like, okay, like, fucking dick. God. Anyway, yeah, it's embarrassing. To answer your question, um, which was, uh, when did I start writing screenplays? Yeah, yeah. Uh, screenplays, I started writing, actually, fairly early on, because I was 12 when I wrote my first novel, which was atrocious. Um, <laughs> Then I was at secondary school, so I was about 14 years old. Yeah. And every summer holidays, my mates would come around my house, because that was a time when I had friends, and we'd nick my mum and dad's camcorder, and we'd run to the woods and we'd just film each other spitting ketchup over each other as we'd play fight. Uh And the plot was like, there's a tramp on the loose, who, funny enough, looks like a well-dressed kid from my secondary school. (laughs) And he's going around killing other kids, uh, which was the rest of us. And then when we die, we come back as zombies and kill. Yeah, it was shit. But then I started getting more serious with it. And I wanted to write screenplays for us to film. And I didn't didn't give a shit that we weren't of the right age to do these films. So, you know, I was like uh, 14, 15. But now this girl here is my wife. Yeah. You know, she's a similar age. And so uh, the the problem is... as I started going more into that field, my colleagues started becoming more alternative. So they started listening to like just heavy metal music and just sitting around smoking cigarettes, like can't be fucking bothered with this man. Yeah, man, life's a drag. So they went that way and I was always more, and action, let's do stuff. So I ended up just writing screenplays for the joy of it. And I spent years just, just, just writing them and not doing anything with them. I sent, I sent one off uh, to Columbia TriStar, a script called Dodging Death. And I had Rick Mayo lined up for it. His agent said, yes, sent it off to Columbia. By this time, I was like 18 years old. And I had a, a, a post office slip get delivered to my house where not enough postage has been paid on something and i had to walk uh four miles to the the post office place to pick it up and as i'm walking there i'm thinking fucking hell this could be a letter from columbia tristar they've accepted they've accepted mm. the thing and i'm gonna have like a limo pick me up and take me to the premiere and blah 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 and no i just hadn't put enough um, stamps on a self-addressed envelope that <laughs> oh can you have the acceptance so- speech written yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they, 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 Academy Award. they didn't even put a letter that just said, no, thank you. They just sent the script back. Shit. I was like, so in my head, I've got, you know, as you say, I've written the speech. I am the man. I am awesome. And no, it's just my own work back and I didn't pay enough postage. <laughs> so I was like, that's oh. a come. So I've obviously always- a lot of, I don't want to say, I shouldn't say a lot of years have passed, but let's be fair, Matt, they have. Um, since you, I'm drinking, <laughs> <laughs> since you started out getting those initial ideas down uh, for, for scripts, looking at how you are now, how have you developed? How have you changed over the years in terms of you know your methods of storytelling? I've probably become a bit more canty. Um, mm. I, to be honest with you, I don't think much has really changed because I never gave it much thought when I was writing when I was growing up, and I still don't. You know, you hear writers who spend X amount of time writing the first draft and then they'll go and write a second draft and a third and a fourth. Then they'll, they'll edit it and then they'll rewrite it again. 
I write one draft and then I release it. You know, mm. I, I obviously I have a, a middle middle man edit yes. well, middle woman edit it. Um, but I never pay attention to their edits. I'm just like, yeah, okay, for all I know, they've written the book from scratch. And <laughs> there it is, you know. Uh, so, I, yeah, I mean, not much has changed. I get an idea, I sit there, I write it out. And that's all I've ever done right from day one. Now, if anything, my brain is becoming too busy. Like I have too many ideas. So if I'm writing something, when I was growing up, I'd write something and, and zone everything else out. Now I can't do that. Right. So I've got like multiple projects on the go at one time. And even then I'm like, you know what? I'll make a feature film at the same time as this. And, and, and do, you know, and <laughs> then the depression would kick in because you realize you're drowning so bad in all the work. Mm. Um, and you think, right, now I've got to plow on because you know as much as the next person how much depression can actually suck your soul and stop you from doing everything oh totally everything um, just grinds to a halt yeah and i don't allow that anymore um i did an interview in germany where i was saying that i am actually grateful for the depression and the bipolar side of things because i actually use it to my advantage to feed the stories right and when i was growing up i was always a lot more pessimistic than that so like, oh, mm. I can't do this. It's like, I can do it and I'm going to do it because of this, this and this. Yeah. And I found that actually helps me more than anything a, a therapist ever said to me. Unless That's sheer will. Yeah. And the will to succeed. Uh, like I, I fell out with a family member. I didn't talk to them for four years and it hurt. Um, you know, we're talking again now, but we lost four years mm. together. And the whole time I was getting my head down and working just to prove that person wrong. Yeah. And they went into their workplace and someone had, uh, we got the daily echo down there. I don't know if you have it up there. No. Um, it's, so. a, it's the biggest newspaper for the South. Part. Right. I just don't know if they had different divisions, but there was a double page article on me. And what, uh, one of the workers had taken it in and was reading it in a warehouse and left it on a double page. And the person I wasn't talking to at that time, I don't want to say who, no. they, they went in and they saw the article and they actually screwed it up and threw it across the room. Ooh, and I win. was like, winning. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of when you sat writing prose and when you sat writing scripts, how does this storytelling differ? Um... You know, scripts is... Have you ever tried to write a script? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's piss easy. Um, you're going to tell me it's different now, aren't you? <laughs> I'm going to say I had some struggles okay. with it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> with, a, with a book, you have to build the world. Right? You know, you have to set the room. You've got to say what the room smells like, mm. looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you've got to put your reader there. With a script, you don't have to stress about that. They're in a kitchen. Great. Is the kitchen run down? Yeah, it's run down. How? Not up to me. Up to the production design. Up to the, the art department, the, the director, what they want. I just need to set the initial scene and then do the dialogue. Yeah, just let them speak. Now, what I have been doing, I mean... I've been writing a lot into my scripts and I've been working with um, Mick Strawn. He was a production designer for like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, mm -hmm. Blade, Sid and Nancy, Boogie Nights. He told me when he reads a script, he doesn't read a dialogue. And 
he used to read for like one of the big studios. Yeah. If they got a sudden load of work on, the scripts would get handed to different departments just to catch up on. Yeah. He said if he can't understand the script from the text, you know, the scenes as mm. it is, he's not interested. Mm. Now, I work differently. So when, like, for example, when Ian gave me his script, I didn't pay much attention to the scene directions. Mm-hmm. I paid attention to the dialogue because that, as an author, is what I'm about. Yeah. Um, so now with scripts, I'm trying to get into the, you know, being more fuller with the details that I'm giving for the scene, but still not making the whole scene because it's not my job. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to give the reader enough information that they can then build this whole thing in their own head mm-hmm. where with a novel, you know, you make every single thing. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you, you, you paint the whole picture for the reader and they just switch off and go with the story and enjoy it. Yeah. That makes sense. I think so, I prefer script writing. I'll be honest. Right. Yeah. I did a script writing module on the degree that I'm working on. And I realized very early, early on, I'm not a stage playwriter. I'd be a screenplay writer, if anything. Yeah. Um, just the way that those set directions have to work and things like that. I just, no, also, it didn't work for me. With script writing, it, all you need is a program called Final Draft. Right. So you just hit return, return, C, and it moves the, the tab over to a character heading and you write mm-hmm. your character's name in. You hit return. It's automatically formatted it to be dialogue. Mm-hmm. Then return, return, S, and it's scene handling and things like that. It is so easy. You know, if you're a touch typist, which you presume you yeah. definitely yeah. are because you've written books, um, you can fly when you're writing on that program. It was just um, little nuts and bolts that are, you know, some of the dialogue sounds like it could be said by any of the characters. And I'm thinking, well, I don't agree because I know which character's saying it. And uh, I don't agree with those courses. Uh, I don't know if we spoke, I'm sure we spoke about it, but I actually failed one of the writing courses. And now you mind, I'm doing this now. So it was what, two years ago, I failed this this Mm. writing assignment because I did a story called God's Hand. Um, just about a guy spinning a gun, whoever it lands on, he gets to shoot. You know, it's, it's simplistic and it's a revenge story because it's only him in the room and the girl he's sitting opposite is a girl that was texting while driving and she ran over his daughter. Now the guy's broken into her house and said, right, God said, whoever this gun lands on, I can kill. So if it lands on me, I can commit suicide and I'm still allowed in heaven. Mm-hmm. If it lands yeah. on you, I can murder you. I'm still allowed in heaven to see my daughter, you know, when my time comes. And by the end of it, he's like, well, it lands on her. And he's like, no, nah, I'm just teasing. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to live the rest of your life thinking about what you've done to my daughter. And I want you to remember this moment forever. And then he blows his own brains out. I failed that assignment because it was too dark. And my argument is you should be judging me on my grammar. Yeah. And technique. Yeah. Not structure. the story. Yeah. And uh, jokes on them anyway, because I filmed the segment and it's part of uh, Next Door. Um, uh, very good. And that shit story only went and got Danielle Harold in it from EastEnders. So it's that crap that someone from the television was like, this is a great story. I'll do it. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually, because uh, that's with the Open University and I, I emailed them in and I said, I want to change tutors because I don't believe this person's 
marking in the correct criteria because it shouldn't matter if they hate my story it's not about the story that the course is about yeah it's about yeah, it's structure about, and everything it's not about your taste in in different genres is it that's not part of the mark and rubric it's purely exactly. about the nuts and bolts i used to um on my etsy page i used to do uh services where like you for example would send me your book and for x amount of money i would sit there and i read it and i would rip it apart mm. But it would never be the story that I would rip apart because it's not my place to. I could hate something that you wrote. Mm -hmm. Next person that reads it could love it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So it is, I, I would never criticise. I mean, there's a lot of writers that I really do dislike their their work. Like I'll, I'll name one because it's so big. He's so big. It doesn't matter. But Stephen King, I detest his writing because right. it's he builds such big worlds and takes his time getting to it that it's not to my preference so you prefer more minimalist cuts does that make it? stephen king a bad writer no, no it makes it not it, but not not for me not for you yeah no that makes so, that makes a lot of sense and like you say when it comes to qualifications that viewpoint that personal taste shouldn't be held against a student like exactly sure. I do feel bad though, because I always, when I go to conventions, I do pick up, um, I'm not going to name the names because it's not fair to, but I do pick up like friends' books to read and I get them home and I, I've got real bad attention span anyway. I start reading it and I just say, I'm bored and I put it down and I, I just really struggle to read. Um, and I know it's something that's happening with me with age because uh, I bought a signed Roald Dahl book the other the other week. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, yeah, Roald Dahl's my hero. He's he's my inspiration. He's he's tattooed on my arm for fuck's sake. And I tried to read this book and I got bored reading it. So I know it's a me thing. It's not the writers. It's just yeah. that my brain now stops me from being able to sit there and enjoy a book. I think you're just plowing ahead, aren't you? Just you create and create and create, and all the time you're not slowing down to consume. I don't. Media. Yeah, I don't. It's like it's like my brain isn't giving me enough time to sit back and enjoy what other people have created mm. for me. You know. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think the last author I read where they actually captured my imagination and kept me on and i'm not just saying this to suck his dick because i work with a guy but justin park jr mm -hmm. park yeah yeah he gave me a book we did a convention when we first met and he's like oh i'll give you this and it's a book called upon waking and i'm not very grateful when people give me stuff i'll be honest it's like i, I don't have time but i i like the you know thank you for thinking of me yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm i'm gracious to them but i'm like when am i going to fit that in and uh, <laughs> that's I why I didn't give you any of my shit, by the way. And you, yeah, I, I can I, tell. Yeah, he's just like, he's not going to read it. But <laughs> I, was, I was desperate for something to read because uh, Heat magazine hadn't come out that week. So I thought, uh, I'll, read, <laughs> I'll read this Upon Waking book that, that Park gave me, and I'll read it in the bath. And I was reading it, and it's just like, you read about this character, then you go back and read it from this, this character and that character. And I was like, this is fucking dumb. It's actually annoying me now. And I thought, it's such a little book, I'm going to carry on though. And the very next chapter from that moment, it switched. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, well, what's happening next? What's happening? And I read it. I was freezing in the bath by the time I was done. Uh, so I read it in, in one. And I thought, you know what? That is a great book. I was like, so yeah, kudos. So it worked kudos on you. That. 
Yeah, bastard. <laughs> and while we're on the subject, what a nice bloke he is too, Justin. Hey, uh... It's a bit of a prick. You're not going to suck no, his I'm... dick. I'll suck his dick one day. I'm, 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 he's <laughs> probably the closest I've got to a friend in, in the whole industry. You know, we, we've worked on films together. Yeah. We're still working on films together. Um, he's recently had a few... Uh, I'm sure he won't give, me a sh- give a shit if I say it. He has headaches quite a lot. Mm. So he's like one of the only people where I'll actually wake up and I'll go, you know what? Check up on him today and just see how his head's doing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Normally I just shut off from people. So yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a really nice guy. And again, when I'm down, he's one of the only people that will actually reach out and just go, you're right. Mm. Um, but we do bicker. I'm finding we bicker quite a bit nowadays. Like a married couple. Yeah, we are. We're getting that way. It's like for love life, I commissioned a song to be covered. I commissioned some uh, "Rape Me" by Nirvana to be covered, oh, but I wanted right. I want it done in classical style, right. right? With a female vocalist. Have you seen the film The Joker? Oh yeah, yeah you know the yeah. music in that. Yeah, think of that music, but as a Nirvana cover. Uh. So that's what I've done, and I said to Justin, "We got female vocalist." He's like, "Right, dot dot dot." Not sure how I feel about this. And I said, no, it'd be great because there's a part in the film where the woman, you know, the hooker gets in the car, the song's going to be playing on the radio and the client rapes her over the bonnet of the car. Right. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're taking Nirvana, uh, you're taking Kurt's words and it's out of context and blah, 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 blah. And he, he was not happy. You know, it's the first time I was like, I need to put the phone down because this is all getting a bit silly now. I've got the song back anyway, or at least the, the, the tester of the song from Veden. And it was, it was fantastic. It was, he's taken um, Call Me the Joker song, but added bits of Navarre. It's mental. It's so nice and haunting. And it, I said to Justin, I'm not sure if it will work in that scene, but I love the song. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And I, I was expecting a barrage of shit. And Justin was like, yeah, you've completely won me over. I listen to this sort of thing all the time. I was like, see, you shouldn't just fucking trust me. <laughs> I've got a no, vision, it's, man. <laughs> it's good that you've got somebody who will say, no, I disagree. You, you can't have everyone kissing your ass, macho. Yes, but sometimes you once they've disagreed, <laughs> once they've disagreed, they need to then shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and then let in you the get end, on with it anyway. Yeah, in the end, I said to Joe, I just wanted to fuck him off at this point because I was on a walk with the missus and I was getting irritable because I'd already paid to commission this music. Because um, now we're having like the violins and the cellos added and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said to him, I said, look, we'll talk about this when the song's done. Because at the moment, you're getting angry about something you haven't even heard and it could come back and I could think it is dog shit. Now, as it is, it's come back. I don't think it will work very well in that scene. But would it work in the film? Yes. Yeah. So I was like, we'll just take a step back. We'll talk about it when we have the product. It, it might work better that it's not quite as on the nose as well. Um, yeah. So It's really, really subtle. But I mean, like a, like working with Justin. Callback sort of thing. Yeah. But working with Justin is great because sometimes, like when we filmed Monster, we did a whole feature film in eight days, which is ridiculous. You know, 14, mm. 15 hour days. And then I'd go home and work on the next day while everyone's asleep. So I'm getting like two, three hours sleep straight back on it. I was really ill. Killer. And Justin and I butted heads once in that because the makeup lady, she didn't get out of bed. We call in and call in her and she just didn't get up. So we carried on. 
she eventually showed herself. And I said to Justin, because he's the assistant director, I said, mate, you need to have a word with her because uh, I'm going to kill her. She does that again. <laughs> I'm going to put her back on the bus and fuck her back off to wherever she come from. Because I can't remember. I think she's Bristol based. Right. Um, or was she card? I don't know. But I was like, I'm going to get back on the, the, the bus and she can just fuck off home because I'm not having her on set just coming down when she feels like it. And it was a couple of days before Justin had a word with her. And I was like, have you had a word with her yet? And he went, I'll do it later. And he gave me a dirty look. And I gave him a dirty look. And then we hugged. <laughs> we'll do it together. No, he, he did go and do it. Because um, <laughs> every, every time I had dirty work to do, like uh, Laura, we were filming all through the day uh, one day. And then we said, right, we're going to work really late tomorrow night. So have a lay in and then we're going straight through the night with this bitch. And it got to like two in the morning and Laura was like, oh, I'm too tired. All she, had to, all she had to do was be picked up by someone and put over their shoulder. So she's not got lines. She's like, I'm too tired. So I was like, right, fine. Fuck off to bed. All right. Sarush, the sound guy, and uh, Dustin, the guy I flew in for camera from the States, they had done themselves up with um, uh, Red Bull. So these guys, these guys are wired. So I was like, right, you go to bed. We're going to think of something else we can film so we can get more stuff done then. And next thing I I hear is Laura, because, do you know Laura? Uh, I've seen her in, is she in some of the segments of Next Door as well? Yeah, yeah, she gives me a hand job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know her, her, but I'm familiar with her. I know what she looks like. She's got like the loudest laugh I've ever heard of, of someone. And to start off with, it's a great laugh. It's really infectious. But then when, you know, you've told someone to go to bed because they're tired, they're too tired to work. And from the other room, you hear this bellowing laughter. I just turned to Justin and went, get her the fuck away from me. <laughs> so Justin goes and have a word with her. Then I'm in the kitchen grabbing something and she comes back through real sheepish just 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 getting a drink (laughs) so he was he was my uh he was my go-to you know he's my bitch to do all the dirty work i I know if i go and say something i'm gonna be irritable you know justin's a very calm patient person Mm. so when he says something it's more diplomatic than me oi cunt fuck off the bed so you know (laughs) i suppose it's handy to have yeah definitely handy to have someone who's Got a little more diplomacy than that, then. Yeah, I do. I fall out with a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like a bunch of them come back to work with you later, though. Well, yeah. I mean, this time I've actually got to the point where a few of them I just won't work with again. Right. And I've learned um, if anyone's making, you know, if anyone out there is listening to this because they want to make a film, hmm. don't bother with soap stars because it's not worth it. Um, you know, I've worked with some really nice people. They are nice people. Um, and they're names that you would recognize from TV. But when the film is done, they don't want to fucking know you. They don't want to push it. Not going to promote it. Oh, that's yeah, disappointing and- because I think I know who you mean. And I always fancied that when I was a teenager. Oh, now you're going to have to write it down and hold it up for me to see. <laughs> Shall I say, well, I can always edit this shit out later. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, edit the name out. Well, edit she looks, name. Uh, she's got the same surname as you. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. She, um, she's lovely. Um, oh, that's cool. <laughs> very, very strange thing. I mean, she doesn't promote the film because she's not on social media. 
right, so, right, right, right. That's uh, and you know that was so I, I spent two thousand pounds to have her and i remember when um andrew the guy that was casting monster it's like oh yeah yeah tracy shaw wants to uh audition i was like what i was like why in the fuck does she want to audition because she's from, uh, I just revealed that i had a crush on tracy shaw and that i did watch coronation street when i was a teenager mate i so. didn't watch coronation street but she was always in the lads magazines and i still fancy the fuck out of tracy shaw she's See, a beautiful woman so your way of getting to it is much cooler than mine, but you know, mother would <laughs> she, have Corrie on. <laughs> she, um, <laughs> yeah, she, she, I, I remember we had, I hired out Pinewood Studios for the auditions just so I could feel like a rock star. And uh, <laughs> I had a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. If you came and did an audition for me, if you were offered a Krispy Kreme donut on the way out, you did a good, a good audition. Right. If you, if you weren't offered a Krispy Kreme, you were wank. <laughs> and uh, the, the day started off with like Danielle Harold, um, Lola from EastEnders. She was my first audition. And I was like, I don't need to see anyone else because obviously I'm going to give her the part because it's a name for the film. Right. And I ended up uh, hiring someone else for that role anyway. So I wrote Danielle her own role because I wanted to work with her. And then halfway through the day, Tracy came in to audition for the mother, you know, Mary. And um, she was just so down to earth and so lovely. And you're sitting there thinking, fucking hell, it's Tracy Shaw. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't have a... I mean, we don't talk uh, anymore because uh, just life moves on, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But she, yeah, I, I got a lot of time for her. She was lovely. And the one thing you need to remember about her, though, she doesn't like goodbyes. So I, was, I did the film premiere, turned around, and she was just fucking gone. See. So Mystique. I yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just think she struggles with all of that. She doesn't mm. like goodbyes. But I thought, oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> Sniff. <laughs> now that's reassuring. I'm pleased that she's uh, not the soap star with the, the bad rep. As far as you're concerned, no, no, I'm glad. It's, it's the ones that annoy me are the ones that have got strong social media presence that are constantly on fucking Instagram talking about their keep fit friends and all that lot. Yeah, they've just done a film with someone who is an independent you know, filmmaker who's put their own money into the bastard film and they can't even like give a tweet about it. Right. You know, I just think that's absolute bullshit. I think of all the people that did Next Door, three of them retweeted it. You mentioned uh, the movie Love Life before. Yeah. Is that, so that's your next uh, writing, directing project, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. acting. And acting, of course, yeah. Can't leave that out. And producing, I, presumably. I, yes. <laughs> I, I'm bigging Justin up for this one. Uh, I'm making him co-director. Oh. So normally he's Very assistant good. director, but this mm -hmm. time he is going to be directing the technical side. Right. So I can direct the acting side. Um, so we're balls deep in pre-production at the moment. Yeah, which he, is... he directed one of your, the shorts that you wrote, didn't he? He did First Dates, is that right? No. Oh. He was supposed to do first dates, which was a segment of Next Door. Um, and he wasn't actually there on that day. He couldn't make it. Uh, I just yeah. never took it off IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> the you question know. is, do I take it off this podcast? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> See, folks, exclusive. You heard it here first. So what can you <laughs> tell me about Love Life then? Love Life, I actually wrote the script when I was 15 years old. 
um, is black comedy when I first wrote it about, um, you know, you get those big office blocks yeah. and you get the postman that works in the office as the postman for all the floors. Yeah. 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 Where Kirk was a postman for this office block who is seen by an executive woman in this office block and she loves him, falls for him and he's mysterious, but then she finds out he's a necrophiliac. And she's like, it's either the corpses or me. And he's like trying to get rid of the bodies, but he keeps hiding bits because he can't give it all. Like, I'll just keep this hand for in case I ever want a hand job. And uh, it was a really sick script. Don't forget, like I said, I was 15 years old. So I'm not saying it's a good script. And years later, I started writing books. And I thought, you know what? I like the idea behind Love Life. But I don't like the story I told when I wrote the script. Hmm. Because... A woman in that position, if she finds out this person fucks their bodies and digs them up, she wouldn't stay around. So you kind of needed someone as damaged as him. Right. Where they wouldn't be, they wouldn't run away from this kind of thing. So it, it, it the script changed. Well, the, the story changed where Kim is like a working girl forced into the job by a pimp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she kills the pimp and she's got like 24 hours to raise as much money as she can before she can just run away mm-hmm. so she works through the night she can get a couple of grand in her back pocket and she runs away during that time she meets Kirk and it turns out that her mum used to run a care home for you know kids and Kirk was one of the kids there. Right. And on the days where Kim was unwell, obviously the mum would take her into the work. So she'd sit in the office and she'd see Kirk there making a little jigsaw puzzle because he never had any friends. And the two of them sort of became friends and then sort of drifted apart. He books this woman because he's, he's really lonely. Turns out to be her. She sees it's him and she runs away from him. But then that night she gets attacked. There's no one she can turn to but this guy. Kirk and throughout the whole film because it's done in flashbacks and things like that you think are these two damaged souls finally going to come together to find Mm. some kind of peace now anyone that knows me will know no that's not the case (laughs) Uh, because I I don't like happy endings Uh, the closest I can think of um, is is how being marketing the film is leaving Las Vegas Mm. crossed with Psycho right um, and that's probably the, the closest I can get to that. And uh, what stage are you at with, with Love Life at the minute? Uh, we're trying to raise money still. So we've raised about 4,300. We need 21,000 uh, 21, is how much we need. Mm. Um, I'm hoping when Next Door finally comes on Amazon that uh, if it does the same as Monster in the first two months, then I'll get the rest of the money through that to to plow into it yeah and i was going to make one more film which is love life and then i was going to cash out and quit because uh you know it's all my money all the time so i'm broke (laughs) oh god what do you uh, do you think you might be flexible on that do you think if a good story comes along you'll oh no what i mean by that is i don't want to write direct produce act sing the theme tune (laughs) (laughs) i i i like, like Ian's project, Caliban, for example, I'm more than happy to go and act in that so I can concentrate on just the acting, yeah, giving him the yeah. best performance ever and make him real happy that he employed me. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, I wrote it. 
and I was responsible for like the crowdfunding and blood. So I was producing it as well. But mm. when I got out to America to film it, all I was doing was the acting. So I was just fucking around most days. Like there's a scene where me and Rebecca are in bed and we've done the first bit and now they're setting up the next shot and they're taking ages setting it up. So we're literally just laying in bed while everyone's working around us, just having a laugh. Yeah. And I thought, I could get used to this because normally I'm on the other <laughs> end of the camera going, yeah. why isn't this done yet? Come on, we need to do this, this and this. We still got, the, you know, and with writing, I'd, I'd happily write someone a script that they can then go and direct, um, you know, or if someone's got a decent script and they give it to me and go, Matt, John, direct this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. I just don't want to do everything. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What would you say is the toughest aspect of, of making an independent film? Oh, the money. Definitely the money, you know, um, and getting getting some fucking respect from people. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, like you get in touch with agents and things. They treat you like shit, man, because you're an independent, small budget. Like, I had someone haggle with me. I wanted an actress for Love Life, and they were like, "Oh, it's text amount of money." Like, well, I've already told you this is what I'm paying. Well, can you do this at least? No, this is what I'm paying, and you have that big backwards and forwards. Now, in the end, I managed to get them anyway. And I even, you know, threw in a little extra sweetener for them as well to show that I'm not being a dick. I don't have the money. I'm offering the best that I can. And, you know, we, on the crowdfunder, we had this guy pledged, what, £1,300 for Love Life. And he's just refunded it all. His missus found the credit card bill. <laughs> I, I, I presume so. Um, but, you know, when you're doing it all yourself, that really really sucked yeah that's a big i emailed chunk. him yeah i emailed him i was like you fucking piece of shit i said you realize you've ruined all of this now and i hope you die and he didn't come back to me so no, no i actually emailed him just saying you know thanks for the initial support appreciate it wish you nothing but the best and he came back with you know times are really hard really sorry i plan yeah. to come back later i said it's not a problem i'm not here to make you feel bad i just wanted to say thank you and wish you wish you well yeah. Um, you know, I kept it friendly because, you know, he's right. You know, we got the virus going on, and yeah. uh, I've been I've been lucky because I'm self-employed. The government actually looked after me for a change. You know, they actually mm. gave a shit about us. But there's a lot of people out there that have been pissed on, and are still getting pissed on. And oh, now, yeah. when the shops are opening up, you know, redundancies are going to happen. Yeah. So more people are so. I can't there, blame someone for reading. There are whole industries that were getting bailed out anyway, and they're still laying people off, even yeah. though they've been shored up. So, you know. Yeah, so can't blame them. I was also wondering, just because you're not sort of, a, as a producer and a, and a director, you're not, and I don't mean this in an offensive way, but you're not like a household name in, in filmmaking at this stage. No, and I just funny. wondered about, like, after Me Too, where one of the biggest, best-known producers in Hollywood gets, you know, this massive scandal uncovered. I just wondered what that did, what, if that's eroded trust in the, in the industry as far as like independent guys getting a shot at attracting talent. I d this is very unprofessional, ladies and gentlemen, but, but do you have your phone on you? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to WhatsApp you a picture. Okay. And I, I will explain it as well so people at home listening can understand what, what the hell's going on. Um, right, so uh, 
but basically I was auditioning for this film or rather I was casting for this film and I received this. So there you go. I see. Yep. Along with the message, is there anything I can do to ensure I get this part? Don't be right. afraid to ask. So the point is, I don't think Me Too has made a blind bit of difference. I think there's still people out there uh, that are going to take advantage of their position. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, think there are people such as this person who are going to put it on a plate to get what they want. Thinking, yeah, that it will uh, enhance their career in a more meaningful yeah. way. Now, I don't really know what happened with, with Harvey Weinstein. Uh, I don't know whether it was consensual or not. And then they just came back years later and just said something different. Or I don't know whether he was actually attacking them. If he's attacking them, then, you know, he's a piece of shit and he deserves everything that comes his way. If it's like that message, like what if I went to that person, well, actually, mm. John, suck this. And then years later, they come back yeah. and say that I did something to them. So it's, it's very hard because there's going to be times where you meet people. Like if you're a single person and they're a single person and you meet on a film set, why can't you form a bond, get close, date, go out, fuck, you know? Mm. And now it's like you've got this uncertainty from both sides. Of course, yeah, yeah. Am I being played? Am I being played? And you're like, it, it's amazing how... I say one person, let's be honest, it's a lot more than just Harvey. It's amazing how yeah. that has basically just made so much mistrust within mm -hmm. the industry where now, um, oh, fuck it, I'll say a name because, you know, I've got a thing for her. Say I work with Mar Margot Robbie, right? Mm -hmm. And she's single and I'm single. And she made a move on me. I would really want to go, <laughs> go along with that move. But I wouldn't know now whether I could. Um, I'd take so, that yeah. chance. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would as well. <laughs> but I mean, it's you know, with Ian's film Caliban, for example, he said uh, there's, an, I think he called them an inter intimacy director, right, or liaison or something like that. So they're going to be on set whenever we're doing anything like hooty tooty kind of thing. Right. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, it, it's actually needed, isn't it? Mm. Because, I mean, I know that I'm not going to, I mean, to be, um, let's speak crudely. I probably will not even get an erection at these points because I'm going to be so nervous. But I know I'm not going to be doing anything untoward and I'm not going to be inappropriate to the actors that I'm mm. working with because A, it's uh, wrong and disrespectful and B, it's just not the time and place. You've got a job to do. But it's nice to know that he's, go on that extra mile just to have someone there to also keep an eye on it. Yeah. And so it's no longer your them. word against their word kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But when we filmed next door, we had uh, Rod Glenn naked most of the day. Mm -hmm. I have seen so much of that man's cock that Jesus Christ, I'm surprised I'm not blind. And, uh, <laughs> Oh, this, this, this will make him feel good. Uh, my cameraman just kept turning around to me and go, yeah, but it's not mate. So what's your problem? He went, yeah, but it's, it's 
the knob is huge. That's <laughs> like, I mean, it's all right. It's, it's not huge. But I mean, we had him walking around naked without caring a world. We had Nathan Sussex from Hollyoaks walking around in just his black pants. And he didn't give a shit. We stopped for lunch. He didn't even put anything on. He just stood there in the kitchen in his pants. Um, Jan Anderson, obviously, we had her wearing like lingerie and things. Maria was completely naked. And I never once stopped to think about the hashtag Me Too movement. The only time I actually thought anything of it was when um, Jan was in the bathroom and she asked me to take her bra off for her. And I was like, I'll get my wife. And I did, because <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah, I'm not. Good I, move. Yeah. I also fancy Jan something rotten so i just didn't want to put myself in that position because you know i have to look her in the eye although she thought i was homosexual so there's that um so yeah i do i've gone off the point now <laughs> i think i think you've i think you've nailed it really yeah that in some in some ways it has changed things in some ways it hasn't changed it for both predators and people who are susceptible um, yeah it's, it's really hard though for the people that are weak like me because when you get a message like that and you know you saw the picture just a, just a an attractive lady yeah and just so <laughs> people know you're not uh, uh, transmitting pornography here this was just a person in, in a suggestive outfit not yeah she's not, not like uh, bare nothing on display yeah no, no. but she's no. uh she's giving you a trailer of of what's on offer yeah yeah, here, here, here's a picture of a vagina. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't like that. <laughs> Which directors have inspired you and influenced your work, would you say? Um, I think if you watch Monster, you'd see a lot of Oliver Stone in there. For the simple fact, I like um, Dutch angles where the camera is like slanted to the side. Right, yeah. And if you watch Natural Born Killers, then you see a lot of the Dutch angles. And uh, like even Tarantino does in Pulp Fiction when Travolta's in the bathroom and the camera's kind of at crotch level looking up at him to give him the power stance, um, where he's trying to convince himself he's a strong man and he's just going to have his drink and leave. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Oliver Stone, uh, Tarantino is, is an inspiration, but that's more for his writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, I think, is a fantastic director. Uh, I haven't seen all of his films, mind you, but what I have seen, I've loved. I've got his box set coming for Christmas and Ball and Chain won't let me watch it now. Yeah, to be honest with you, that's really it. There's, there's not many directors where I really go out of my way to worship them. Like, I enjoy Michael Bay films just because they're stupid and loud. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think he's a good director. I think he's a fun director. Fun, yeah. Yeah. Steven Spielberg is very hit and miss because some of his films are absolutely amazing. Like take the script and all that a lot away from it, but just like saving private Ryan, the opening yeah. sequences of that. And then there's certain scenes in, in the first Jurassic park, which mm. is so iconic, but then you watch lost world and you're like, Oh dear, Steven, <laughs> did you phone it in? <laughs> Took the money. So, around. Yeah, he did. That's exactly what happened. Um, and then I was watching, was it uh, Paul Verhoeven, whatever his name mm, is? Yeah, yeah. I was Robocop. watching Showgirls yesterday. <laughs> oh, give over. I was like, is it as bad as I remember? And I think her name's Elizabeth Berkeley in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Saved by the Bell. Yeah, but when she's like having a temper tantrum and she's like slamming her hands around and waving her hair, you're just like, how did you get employed? 
<laughs> and how's this director letting it happen? And she never got employed again. Was that literally the last thing she did? I don't know. I imagine so. Which has been your favourite piece to direct and why? Um, I've, oh my God, you're just setting this up for me. I really enjoyed <laughs> the scene I did where Laura Wilson gives me a hand job. Um, because it was so funny to, to, to film. Now, let me just, for people that haven't seen Next Door, because it's not very easy to see yet, because it's not readily available. Um, I go home. I, I, let me just stress, I wasn't supposed to be in this scene. I had everyone there on the day of filming. The lead actor told me he wasn't coming. So I was going to be in the next scene about a lonely guy who basically dates the girl from the, the hand job scene. Um, but it's all in his imagination. And I went with Pete McKinnon and we quickly rewrote the first script to make it the same character for the second one. And then we filmed it. So now it's me getting a handy from Laura. But she never actually comes near me because the camera is looking down at her while she's stroking just below the camera. Mm. So it's like my point of view. So I'm yeah. well away from it. And then when the camera's looking up at me, she's off to the side just doing her lines. And it's just the cameraman just moving backwards and forwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I hadn't told Saroosh uh, or Dean what we were filming. Okay, so Laura rocks up in this sex... I mean, it's, it's, it's the hottest she has ever looked. She, she, she rocked up in this PVC maid outfit. And uh, she bends down, so she's got her ass out. Um, let me just say, she's wearing, like, full underwear so it's not revealing because i'm not mm. into doing that kind of stuff she's bent over cleaning out the oven i walk in i'm like holy shit and she's like mister your wife no home she told me to clean and uh like, oh uh okay nice i've got some uh cleaning you know extra cleaning you could do a little extra spit and polish and i've got a can in my hand holding it at crotch level she turns around she starts stroking the can with the, the rubber gloves on. She's like, and where would Sir like this extra spit and polish? And as soon as we said cut, both Dean, Saroosh, and even Pete McKinnon, who knew the script, me, Laura, we all just fucking pissed ourselves laughing because it was so, it was like something from a carry on film. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it I've seen that scene. You, you've showed me that scene before, and it is totally. It's over the top, isn't it? It's it yeah. There's be nothing taken seriously. There's nothing sexual about it. It's just funny, <laughs> but because they weren't expecting it, they don't get it wrong. Sarush, he he had just filmed God's Hand, the one with the gun and the, the suicide <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. Before that, he had filmed Monster with me, which is very much about um, getting a deformed kid to rape a girl to get her pregnant. You know, it's not a pleasant story. No. And now we've got from those to this over-the-top, campy handjob scene where, you know, she gets blinded with jizz in the eye. You know, it, <laughs> Spoiler just, alert, everyone. Oh, they won't watch it. It's shit. The, <laughs> it's just the, the tension as soon as she said cut, because everyone's like on edge to trying to get the shot done. As soon as it's cut and everyone just cracks up, you think, yeah, this is fun. I enjoy this. Um, and the rest of the, the, the shots after that, they were mostly stressful. So it was nice because me and Laura, we started with the second film first, which was a bit more serious in tone. I don't know if you saw that one. 
where he's no. dating there in the kitchen. No, I don't think I saw that one. No. Uh, there well, was a couple of scenes you've sent me, but I don't think I've seen that one. But it kind of leads on from that. But we started with that one, and then where we went on to the, the the hand job scene, it was just so laid back and fun, and you just think, yeah, if only filming was always like this. Because I know I know love life is going to be very very stressful to film, mm. just for the mental state that I'm going to be in for my character. You know, so I have yeah. to leave myself there as long as possible. Um, I mean, you you guys won't know because it's just going to be audio only, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So when I'm talking, I'm actually quite expressionistic with my face, you know, the eyebrows and things. I'm, you know, I'm dancing with my hands as I talk. And that character alone in Love Life, it's no face movements and the hands are by the side the whole time. So I'm going to have to be really conscious of that as well as the lines and this and that. So I know that won't be fun to film. Mm. So I just need more hand jobs from Laura. <laughs> just to cut the tension. I'm yeah. sure she'd be glad to hear it. How do you balance your creative output when you're producing, trying to raise the, the money and then filming a movie against the speed that you put out your novels? How do you balance all um, that? I cheat. Uh, my novels, I've got books now lined up uh, until November. So technically, I don't have to write anything until November. Ah. But now, like, like today, uh, I don't know if you heard, but I had my emails on uh, right at the start of this this podcast. And one went, bing! And it's my latest books just come back from the editor. So I'll set that one up for January 2021 release. Yeah. So I don't have to think about it. And then next time I write a book, it'll be released for February, then March. So then it gives me loads of time in between. Like I could take my time writing a novel now. Yeah. But it also gives me time to carry on doing pre-production with, with Love Life. Because me and Justin do long calls every week doing different things for Love Life. But once you catch up with yourself and you've got no more releases lined up, mm. then it is you, you stay up all night working. You know, um, I'm changing the way I do things now. So Monday to Friday, it's going to be about my novels. Right. Yeah. And then the weekends, I'm going to be, I'll, I might jot notes down for the novels, but I'm going to be doing more film based stuff, so right. like spreadsheets and crap like that, just so I can get an, uh, a balance of the two things going. And oddly enough, you just said up all night, which brings you the next thing I wanted to ask you about your Nightmare on Elm Street fan film, Up All Night. I just mm. wondered, because, you know, I'm, I'm, not familiar with how sort of fan films work from a legal standpoint what are you allowed to do with it what can't you do with it how does that work i can't profit from it um i can show it mm -hmm. uh like on on youtube for free but i can't profit from it so there was a little bit of money left over from the campaign so i spent more on perks than i needed to right yeah, because I can't actually put that money in my bank account because it's not legal. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, fan films are a very great area anyway. No one really knows. Like there was a Star Trek fan film go on Kickstarter or Indigo and it raised over a million. Wow. And then um, I think it was Paramount owned the rights. They shut it down because when it got to Ouch. that level, it was now indirect competition <laughs> yeah. with the franchise you know the the uh new line um or in fact the wes craven estate now they won't give a shit about a 
£15,000 17-minute film. Mm. You know, yeah. Because we're not in competition with them. You know, and if they even watch it, we haven't done anything with the character of Freddy that they wouldn't approve of either. Yeah, it's, it's very like much if, in the flavour, in the Yeah, sort of the if, tradition, you had, uh, if you had him come out in like one of the, the, uh, the LBQT, is that it? Gay, gay pride. Oh, I don't know. The, the string of letters. <laughs> if, he, if he comes out wearing a jumper made up to look like that and he flounces around going, hey, and it's so very away from the character of Freddy Krueger, then they may turn around and go, you know what? While we don't have anything against what you're doing, it's not in keeping with the character. Mm. Don't do it. Yeah, so, unless it was somewhere in a parody and it fell enough within the context of a parody you might yeah but if you try and rewrite the history to make it like suddenly i don't know suddenly uh freddy krueger is seen sucking dicks and things like that they're gonna they're gonna say something yeah um because it's not freddy although Um, they do make all those porno superhero movies which I know you've watched. Don't look so fucking innocent. I have, me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Catwoman one. <laughs> you've written and produced seven projects, directed five so far. Uh, what advice would you give to your younger self if you could go back? Uh, you know what? I, I don't want to brag or anything, but I was in a, uh, a documentary last year. I don't know if I told you about. No, you didn't tell me this it one. It's going to Netflix. Wow. Okay, so I was interviewed for three hours about, you know, just being me. And um, do you know who I followed? Nope. So I'm, w- I'm waiting in the green room because I was called up to London. So I'm just chilling there. And Neil Gaiman comes in. Jesus. And he's like, oh, Matt Shaw, Neil Gaiman. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Off he goes. And then I had to go and do my interview. Do you know who else is going on the show? Come on. Kate Winslet. Bloody hell. Del Toro. Christ. Me. Right. And I was just like... This is insane, but I've forgotten what you actually asked now, but it was leading to that. What advice would you give to yourself? Ah, yeah, they, they, asked, they asked that very same question. And my answer is nothing. I wouldn't change anything about my past. I wouldn't give myself any advice because I'm learning as I go along and that's the best way of doing it. Thank God you said what that. Because I, I was going <laughs> to just call you an arrogant prick right there, but I don't have to now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's still, you, you've got to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. It's like um, with the depression things, I've had so many black days, as have you. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't change a single damn one of them because it's made me who I am today. Now, if I'm talking to a newbie filmmaker that's nothing to do with me, then I would just turn around and say, just remember when you're writing a script, write the script knowing that you're also filming it. So, you know, scene one space a massive spaceship comes straight away you can't do it Mm. it's not practical you know you you don't have the money so think of really small things uh there's a filmmaker or rather teacher called dov ss simmons and tarantino actually learned from him because he's got these audio tapes available and occasionally he did uh sundance and raindance festivals Mm -hmm. um you know he'd do a lesson up there so i went for a weekend to learn And what he basically says is take 12 actors, take them to a house and kill them. There's your film. Quentin Tarantino took X amount of actors into a warehouse and he killed them. Reservoir Dogs, tiny budget, great film. So when you're writing it, just think that you will 
be filming it. And um, don't bother with the short film either. Don't bother with the short film? No. Um, you learn more from a feature film. And when you were doing your feature film, when you finished it, there's a chance you can do something with it. Right. With a short film, you can put it into film festivals and you can suck yourself off if you get selected or a little award. But let's be honest, they mean fuck all. So I've, I've been putting Love Life into film festivals, you know, mm. the script, and we've been winning. Or, you know, we've won one and I come second for others. Yeah, yeah. And on the poster, it looks great. But in reality, what does that mean? Nothing. The only award people give a shit about is an Oscar. Right. So yeah, there's no sort of marketing angle. It, will, it won't sort of grease the wheels for you in the future or anything. You can try, but it's, it's, it's not very likely. And the money that you've wasted doing the short, getting it into the film festivals, you could have put it all into a feature-length film. Let me uh, tell you, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, 17 minutes long and it cost over 15,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next door is one hour, 25 minutes long and it costs 15,000 pounds. Yeah. Um, now, if that makes the same money that monster made uh, in the first two months of its release on Amazon alone, I'm looking at 10,000 pounds back to me. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not going to make the money back in the first couple of months, but I then only need to get another 5,000 before the film's broken even. In the black, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not expecting to make, you know, millions and millions from this or even a million. (laughs) Um, If I can make my 15,000 pounds back, that's all I give a shit about because then I'll take that 15,000 and I'll put it into another film. Yeah, and everything Um, you've learned along the way. Yeah, like I say, we learned so much. Yeah, everything... Everything went wrong with Love Life, uh, with, with Next Door. We had an actor who made it so two crew members will not work with me again because oh, I was Christ. too weak. I was yeah. too weak to stand up to this homophobic, racist actor. And the way he talked to the crew members was disgusting, but I didn't say anything. But now I know, I don't give a shit what your name is. You're going to toe the line and you're going to do this. This is you know, what we're doing. I remember you on about a bad experience you had with, uh, with him. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I oh, know I would have ranted it to you. Cause yeah, you know, <laughs> no, I remember you saying at the time, yeah. Um, and then other actors, they come along, like some of them were just, just plain rude and you just you learn how to cope with that. But you, it's stuff that you can't be prepared for until you've experienced it. Mm. Um, and if you're going to make a feature film, you are going to experience all of this. Um, and the trick is you grow as a person when you figure out how to beat it, how to get around it all. Yeah. Um, and that's what Justin and I have been doing because, you know, we've got lists now of problems that went wrong with Next Doors and Solution. So we know that if this crops up with Love Life, we've been here, we've done this, we've got a around. T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just stressful. But I mean, you have to be really passionate to make a film. If, you, if, 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 if it's not your life, if you don't feel the need to do it, quit. Same with writing. Mm. If you don't feel the need to write your story, quit. You're just wasting your own time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's, it's a depressing honest, thought. but <laughs> it, it, In some ways, but also if you, if you can analyze your own reasons, 
and you're still there, then you know you're doing it for the right reason. Yeah, you know how many people come up to me and go, oh, I've got an idea for a story. And straight away, my eyes roll because I think, fucking hell, here we go. Because I don't, I don't care. Just go and write your story and then I'll read it. Well, I won't. Someone else will. But um, the, the amount of times they come up to me and go, oh, I've got an idea for a story and then I'm going to send it off to HarperCollins and I'm going to get a book deal. Are you really? Go away. You know? Fair play if they do, but we, you, know, you know and I know how incredibly difficult that yeah. is. Yeah. So... That to me is just someone that's doing it for the want of the money. Yeah. And, it, uh, and it's, it's get the story out, isn't it? Get the story down, get it done. Have yeah, it there I mean, to work with and refine if you're going to spend a lot of time doing that. If not, through to an yeah. editor, get some feedback, use it to grow, get the story out there. What I will say, I mean, this it doesn't really apply to films because um, I'm not at that level yet. But if you are writing your book just for money, quit. However, that's not to say money can't come. Mm. Now, I'm not a rich man, obviously, because <laughs> um, my wife would look well different. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> she, uh, God, and this is the last conversation I'll ever have with Matt. I'm going to treasure this. Yeah, because that would fucking <laughs> crucify me. Uh, she knows I'm taking a piss anyway, I hope. Um, yeah, I'm not a rich man, but I'm making a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are authors out there who are 10 times the storyteller that I am. Well, not storyteller, author that I am, because I don't think I'm a, I'm a good author. I think I'm pretty shit, but I can tell a mean story. Yeah, yeah. We've talked right, about the difference between that as well. Yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, yeah you like, kind of opened my people, eyes to that. I've never thought about that, that difference yeah, I mean, before, well, to be honest. You, are, you, are you a storyteller or are you an author? Hmm, which one am I? Yeah. I think I'm probably at my best when I'm a storyteller. I'm at my slowest when I'm trying to be an author. And because I start okay. second guessing myself, doubting myself, yeah. I start getting over influenced instead yeah. of following my instincts and just telling the story. See, I just do the instincts, tell my story. I don't yeah. try and worry about making the prose so perfect. Like some authors and their prose are just, it's fantastic, you know? But these people, as great as they are, they're still doing full time jobs. Mm. You know, they're still working all hours, God send just to get the wages coming in. So don't go into this career as a writer or even as a filmmaker, even expecting it all to fall in your lap and get a career out of it or money out of it because it is that difficult. Do it for the passion. And then if you get the career, you get the money, you're lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, to give you an idea like of of Monster, which we talked about as my debut feature film, I couldn't sell that in Cannes because people said it's too low budget, but I can't get the money to make a bigger budget film yeah. because I'm an unknown. Mm. So I thought, well, I've made the film and it's my own film. I'm proud of it. And you know, it's selling on, on Amazon and bloody, bloody blah, blah, blah. So I'm happy with that, but it's also given me a stepping stone to make something bigger. Yeah. So then we, we went to next door and we, we grew from it. And then we go over to, to love life again, which is a bigger budget again and grow from that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hopefully get to the stage where someone will take it seriously and want to distribute it. But at the moment 
if you're going for a proper distribution deal with a decent company, so not just like a shit company that might get your work in like a supermarket, but a proper deal, mm -hmm. um, it's hard, hard, hard going. So you've got to be prepared for that and in for the long haul. Yeah, just know you're going to fail over and over again. And uh, I think it was Rocky that was talking about <laughs> how hard you get hit. It's how much you get back up or something like that. And uh, Yeah, how, and, how hard you can get hit and keep moving forwards. Yeah, uh, and that's exactly what it is for both industries. Yeah. Um, and occasionally I do stumble on my ass <laughs> and wallow for a little bit. <laughs> I think it's only natural, isn't it? We, we've all got to be forgiven for spending a little time doing that. It's when it gets in the way of everything that it becomes yes. a problem. Well, hopefully we're both getting to a stage where that's not going to happen for us and we can just take the odd kick and keep moving. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think that's probably a good place to, to leave it, Matt, to be honest. Where can people positive find you on social attitude. media? Positive mental attitude. Yeah. No, there's lots of um, positives in there, definitely. And I think there's a lot of things, especially people who are, are, are looking at a, a future in indie filmmaking. I think there's a lot of bits they can learn, especially the advice that you would give yourself in that you wouldn't change anything. I think that's a really important message, to be honest, Matt, because... Well, yeah, because you have to fuck up. Yeah, yeah, and having confidence in those failures and, and learning from them. And yeah, and, you know, because when I did that documentary for, for this, this other guy, he he looked at me like in disbelief when I said that, because I, I was like the first person that actually turned around and said, I wouldn't change anything because I need it all to fuel who I am today. Mm -hmm. And if I go back and like say, Hey, actually I'm going to change this little bit. It's a butterfly effect. Yeah. Yeah. I'll still be in the fucking cinema. Wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but no, they can find me on uh, Facebook and they just put in Matt Shaw publications. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Matt.Shaw. I'm on Twitter as the Matt Shaw, but I don't really understand Twitter. I just use it to troll people. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Or if you want signed stuff, find me on Etsy. Just put in the twisted world of Matt Shaw. Do like Etsy. We'll get links onto your show notes for all of this. I'll stick some links on as well, um, so people can see like up all night and get a look at your uh, your lockdown films as well. Yeah, they're all free, so you enjoy those, and well, hopefully you enjoy them. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's always a pleasure catching up to you. That's been good. Thank you for coming on, and I appreciate you. And just keep on you. keeping on, man. Just keep plowing forwards. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Take care, man. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fiendish Minds. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and follow the link below for today's show notes, where you can find reading lists and more information about today's guests. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. 